Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and that Indigenous sovereignty was never ceded. I pay my respects to elders and custodians past, present and emerging and to those of the lands that this podcast reaches. As I embark on this process of speaking and listening, I'm doing so in the home of one of the longest continuous cultures of oral storytelling on the planet. Pansies, like moons. I love pansies. Yeah, I love pansies too. <laughs> um, pansies and moons and all of those things. And I think yeah. like things that you see like a lot, like when you're younger or like in those motifs and stuff do remind me of being a child mm. or like of things my mother and grandmother had and things like that. So mm. I think those things like I always sort of feel drawn to. Hi, I'm Ty Snaith and this is A World of One's Own, a series of conversations with women and non-binary artists I respect and admire. In each of these conversations, we attempt to break down the how and why of what we make. Together, we look at physical processes and how they relate not only to outcomes, but also connect to the unconscious or non-visual parallels and needs in our lives. Today, I'm speaking with Laura Skirl. Laura is a prolific painter, an obsessive writer, and really just a big ball of infectious energy. In this conversation, we explore how both words and gestures can allude to ideas without being literal. We discuss the possibilities of framing a landscape, painting as poetry, and nature as motif. Laura describes how she manages to maintain a real structure to her work, and yet a total fluidity. Such a hard thing to do. How do we tame the wilderness in our mind and still make it interesting to the viewer? Hi, Laura. Hi, Ty. Now, am I pronouncing your name correctly? You are. It's perfect. Okay. Because it's one of those tricky names that has a J at the end, <laughs> which for, for me at the start, silent J is not very common in our, in, in our you know, skip Aussie pronunciation. <laughs> no, no. Um, it's a Slovenian surname. Cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, where, so where does that come? Whereabouts in Slovenia? Um, my... Father's side of the family are from a small town called Knezek, which I'm probably not pronouncing correctly because <laughs> I don't even think I pronounce girl correctly because I think my grandfather even put the E in the name oh, or really? like, which would mean it had no vowels, which... That would be really confronting, maybe, wouldn't it? Yeah, or maybe it was an I, but I'm pretty sure there was some alteration that um, he actually made when they came over here. So, and I'm, I think that my grandmother would have been pregnant with my father on the way like wow. when he, they came here. But I have been back to Slovenia and to the small town. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's really quaint and, like, nowhere I had ever been. And people were like, how did you get here? <laughs> like, how did you find us? <laughs> on a plane. <laughs> but um, it was lovely, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, really interesting. Do you think any of that cultural background carries, you know, through to, your, to you now, the way that you live? Maybe. I'd like to think so. And I think as I get older, maybe I do think about that more, Mm. more so. And like my grandparents, like when I was young, like, you know, they really had the real sort of like Eastern European, you know, backyard with, (laughs) you know, like the veggie patches and, um, and were quite self-sufficient in that way, I guess. Mm. And kind of like, they spoke English, but not 
particularly well and sort of in a suburb in Geelong where most people were Yugoslavian Mm. and um yeah so I think that like I really remember that and we would always make quite basic things together like Mm. you know like my grandfather and I would get bits of wood and nail them together and then like (laughs) paint faces on things and things that kids do but yeah it was really nice and I think it's definitely something I'd like to explore more. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I've got a German background, but a couple of generations before that. But I still think that there's that um, that history of, of making do and, and really making something from nothing and, um, you know, just actually living quite poorly as well that maybe informs the life of an artist. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's right. Yeah, yeah definitely. Because you sort of know how to make um, ends meet or make a face out of two bits yeah. of wood. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, so it's funny, isn't it? Because like culturally, sometimes it's not prominent in our religion or whatever the way that we live now in Australia. But it is. I think if you dig down, it's a deep-seated root of like migrants have this real kind of yeah. yeah like they make it work because yeah. they've got a new life and they've got to make it work. Yeah, and, and I they're guess thankful. That- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of making that goes through everything, like cooking, yeah. the garden, you know, Communities, clothing. All that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, all of that stuff that kind of I think you don't realise has affected you and then you're like, oh, actually that's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, my mother, I mean, has a similar kind of nature and an interest in those mm. things too. I mean, she doesn't have that particular background, but, um, yeah, it's – um. I think that, yeah, it must translate through yeah. to other things. it's interesting. Mm. And it's funny how a name can be sort of the last little hint at that yeah. as well. <laughs> like, yeah, I want to know the story behind that. Um, so back to you, to you and your work uh, as a painter. I mean, you're sort of not just a painter, and I think it's important always to say that, that you very much, you, you do a lot of writing as part of your practice as well, not just about your own work but about other people's work and and, uh, and curating is something you've started doing as well. But um, how does that inform your practice, that sort of writing, writing side? Yeah, um, I think writing actually informs my practice hugely and I actually, I remember, you know, when I was younger and, you know, maybe kind of leaving school and I remember I kind of felt like I had two choices, like I was going to go and like write a novel or make a painting and I actually ended up going to university and doing creative writing and journalism actually and then was like okay and I I instantly thought that was a bad idea. I remember like getting into the class and like within a week being like I have to get out of this, this is is wrong but I didn't get out of it and I kept doing it. I think it was actually really good because like I ended up doing all of these different subjects that I wouldn't have done ordinarily. And the university was quite, yeah, like actually very current affairs based type journalism. Like it really didn't want you to do anything to do with the arts, didn't want any kind of, it was like, you know, you were going to go and investigate things, which I was, you know, quite useless at and and bad. But like I really actually found the course really, really interesting. I mean, Mm. the investigating, I mean, like that was really interesting to me, but I guess I wasn't that kind of, I was never going to be like a cutthroat journalist. I didn't have the personality really to, that wasn't what I was Too about. much of a dreamer. Oh yeah. And, <laughs> and I just thought about art all the time. And so it was like, but like, it was sort of like a nice sort of aside, yeah. but then like I was doing a double degree and in the other degree I was doing an arts degree mm-hmm. and I just slowly, I was sort of just doing this double English degree, but I was still like, this is just not right. Like something about this is not right. So I slowly like ended up in art history and um, Rex Butler happened to be my lecturer, Rex. so that was really interesting yeah. at the time. And, yeah, that was wonderful. And um, so ended up then 
doing that and still knowing that I needed to just, like I knew sort of quite quickly that, no, really you have to go and be an artist, but you'll finish doing this now. Mm -hmm. And so it sort of had really great like poetry teachers and creative Mm. writing teachers and then did this art history um, major too Mm. and had the journalism going on in the background that I would like always kind of struggle to sort of like, you know, quite be that person but anyway I think all those things that was sort of like you know feeds into what you are now I think that's the same with everyone's background but it's really interesting to hear because I think you can see that in your work in that it's it's it's, it interrogates sort of ideas in a very poetic way like it is it is interrogative but it's not um it's not literal in that way but you still see these glimpses of of a deep kind of interest in either a theme or a set of a palette or, um, you know, that or a gesture or whatever. And I think that that's really interesting that that can come through, that background can come through painting. Like yeah, it's, it's, wow. It's a fascinating um, that that works. But in your most recent work, um, words have started to sort of come as well, haven't they? Yeah. And they've grown <laughs> they have. Up. Yeah. They have started to come. Um, that's kind of a funny thing because I you know, like have always written poetry mm-hmm. and when I was younger would be like, you know, I'm going to, would publish it or try to publish it. <laughs> and um, and then I think once I sort of decided, no, actually go and like painting is, you know, this is what you're not, you never stop thinking about. I think I kind of thought, well, I'm, oh, you know, I, I'm not that thing anymore. But mm. you kind of don't lose those things about mm. yourself usually. And I never really stopped doing that. And I actually think I write and draw probably more than I paint. Interesting. But, like, I'm also starting to realise that that, well, I don't know, like I, I'd still paint every day but I write and draw very compulsively hmm. and I think that it's, like, the words thing is, like, I have this, like, Google Docs where, like, I <laughs> that, like, has all these, like, tragic poems in it that I like share with a few friends and um and I just write them about experiences but, mm. of course, like, it's really abbreviated kind of writing. Mm. Um, But recently I was, like... I really want to use this, but I still don't know how. And I still don't know how exactly it will end up Mm. happening later on. But I sort of started to think I really like lines that can be interpreted in multiple ways. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. Yeah, It's like fascinating. It is. And I think it's (laughs) something that artists generally share. I mean, I had this interesting conversation with Archie Barry just recently about, you know, the power of language, but also, yeah, that beauty of of double meanings Mm. and... You know, things like double negatives and just words can be so weird. Yeah. Oh, they can be. <laughs> but they can be so broad and so narrow at the same time, whereas I guess with a colour, you know, I mean, maybe colours are the same, but I feel like words have this second layer of, of like, possibilities. And mm. then if you combine them with a the colour or a shape yeah. or a motif, then you get this whole other reading. And yeah. now I'm starting to realise that spoken words as well have a different... Um, they have a different meaning but also a different privilege to um, written words which are more sort of like finite. and Yeah. So painted words is a whole other thing, isn't it? Because oh, you can start totally to break thing. them down and yeah. so that's where you're at. These, and then it becomes like an object as well. That's right. sort of like, you know, it, it's like that thing like what you're talking about about spoken word and then written word and like, mm. you know, like a word on a page and like how you can present that, like say with negative space like you would a painting. Mm. Or, like, the idea between, like, 
I think this term is like engemment or something, oh, which yeah. is like well, that's the, a good term. the connection. Uh, that's just what I remember. <laughs> Let's which make is that. Like, if it's terrible, not... <laughs> it's probably not. But like the um the connection between like the word at the at the end of a line and the word at the beginning of the, the next, next and that kind of like flow and like mm. I always sort of thought those things were really nice to think about. Like, I always and, just thought they were just in my head. But oh, then, I'm so glad that, that <laughs> I'm glad that you feel those things too. But then yeah. you realise that other people share this kind of love of the weirdness of words or the power yeah. of, of kind of those ambivalent words or shape change, you know, chameleon words and things yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, that's such an, I like chameleon word, mm. like that's such a nice way to describe it. And mm. then you think about that and then I think that the other thing, like I love writing that is abbreviated, mm. but like obviously poetry is kind of abbreviated, but like now there's like also people writing in like ways that are like and drawing in things and kind of hinting at things but not mm. spelling it out completely and, you know, like Maggie Nelson or someone, mm. you know, and like just this like alluding to stuff. And in a way I think like to me like the kind of painting I like often does the same thing. That's really interesting because one of the things, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about was how you can manage to have – you know, quite strong suggestions towards a few different things. So like flowers, I mean, I often see your work and even though I can't quite pull out the shape of a flower, it just makes me think of flowers or mm-hmm. it makes me think of dense foliage or or undergrowth or, you know, it. but then when you look at the actual gestures or the lines that you've used, there's no sort of, well, often there's no sort of outright motifs but mm-hmm. you manage to make this accumulative kind of motif, which is a, a tricky thing to do, right? Oh, is- thank, that, thanks. That's really great. <laughs> I, I'm so happy to hear that because I um, I would like to be trying to do that. So I'm definitely good. doing oh, that. But then you couple that with, like I was looking at just the titles of your shows, last few solo shows, you know, Tropical Planet, Cosmic Cuttings, <laughs> collapsible wilderness and those kind of dualities of I guess gesture and and you know not just plants but the natural environment is Mm. that something that you're interested in yeah um it is and it's like kind of something I keep sometimes I tell myself oh you're not (laughs) (laughs) and yeah you are like you know like it's like um you know, I keep feeling like I'm like when I was at university, it's like I shouldn't keep it. But like yeah. when I was doing my masters, I was like looking at landscape painting mm-hmm. a lot. And actually, even though I know landscape painting has all of these different like political, like important is important for lots of different reasons, mm-hmm. and I definitely, you know, see that. You know, I guess that what I was looking at was like landscape as a structure, mm-hmm. and how it's like like a portrait is quite unified within, say a painting and like the energy in that is kind of centralized and yeah. like a landscape kind of pushes out and mm. when you capture a landscape it really is just like a subjective part of something bigger a and view of something bigger yeah. yeah and quite often an edited view oh it can completely be stuff happening edited. on the sides that yeah. is ugly yeah exactly yeah. and like i mean yeah i mean and that that could actually tell the story and yeah. and and that's not really happening and and even just if you were to think about if you were to think about nature mm. if you were capturing it you know like the weather could change in 5 minutes so <laughs> yeah. like there could be you know like it, it, yeah. all these things could change so it's sort of just like in my mind, it's very fleeting. It's very abbreviated. Mm. Um, it doesn't. It's completely unclear. Like it. Like it is changeable. It's all those things that yeah. I think I'm interested in. And so for me, it was more like the structure of that was really interesting. Mm. 
But then I can't. Oh, sorry. Or the chaos. I was just going to yeah. butt in and say it's almost like you've captured the chaos or attempting to, you know, that's yeah. where the... Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, that kind of chaos is interesting to me. Um, mm. Yeah, so I think that even though once I finished that particular course, I remember thinking like, oh, okay, it's like, well, because it's not like I was ever sort of then thinking, oh, I would make traditional sort of landscape mm. images. But And then for a couple of years I was like, oh, it's not about, you know, and, and it's not necessarily, but it is about that structure still and mm. that kind of like fluidity, I think. I think that's really interesting and also just the idea of the view, of the view, like the artist's view, is that there's that traditional view of trying to take in the most beautiful or balanced aspect. But for me, I feel like yours are sort of like zoomed right in, in a way, to the craziest part almost that you can't quite understand but then found the beauty in that. That's that's how it comes across. Oh. But the other thing that I really love is that that sort of interest in how that kind of wildness or wilderness can then be turned into a pattern or a mm. or a motif. And I know that there's some of your works that I've seen that have looked at sort of old patterns from different eras and yeah. it's almost like then those two things are starting sort of grown together or being grafted yeah. Together? Well, the other thing I think that happened like a few years ago was I, um, so like every, my my mum, my mother and my stepfather and my brother, like so they live sort of in northern New South Wales. So sort of every summer I would go and visit them and so I wouldn't really have my studio and I would feel like that could make me feel really anxious. <laughs> and so I, I um, and it's really hot there. And, yeah, lush. Yeah, and like yeah. lush and like beautiful and all, and it's like great. But um, I remember this particular summer I was just like really, I don't know, I think I had finished uni. I felt a bit like at a bit of a, like what, what you know, I didn't have a studio yeah. yet. Like what am I going to do? And like I need, you know, to get all this organised and I couldn't really because I was somewhere else. And yeah. so I started doing these drawings and I just like would sit at the kitchen table in the middle of the night and everyone would go to bed and it would be like wow. really calm and because it was so hot, it was kind of like a nice, it was nice because it was like the cool part of the day. Yeah. And so I would sit there and listen to music and I started decided to start doing these drawings that were kind of like algorithmic or something. Like mm. it was like this brush can only do this thing. Mm. And I would tell myself these rules and like, do these like and they ended up being these pattern drawings which of course like I should have realized <laughs> they would be <laughs> mm. but um it kind of was really like that hasn't stopped like I have done those for like mm. compulsively now for like about four or five years they're, and- they're really beautiful though but there's there's something in that um pattern that, like for me I can see that total tension between the pattern making rules Mm -hmm. and the complete like overgrowth or the wildness which I find really fascinating so so that idea of rules because something that comes up often in these chats is what how we make rules for ourselves and how that helps um your process or your practice so that's something that has stuck with you through your process because I think I really have trouble with the rules thing like Mm -hmm. I think that I think I probably sometimes need more rules and (laughs) so I think that you know like limiting things is really good and something that mm. I need and will constantly need to to do because like I can be like oh but I want everything and I yeah. want <laughs> every color and I want every you know so yeah to to be able to rein it back in to make a clearer sort yeah. of statement but then it's funny with your work because I think that sometimes that overload of colors and clashing kind of stuff that's movement that's going on is yeah. kind of important yeah oh, like if you yeah. paired it back too much it wouldn't be your yeah maybe so <laughs> maybe it's those things you know that and sometimes also those things that you do naturally and maybe struggle with mm. 
as are what you just are. the work. Yeah, and yeah. you you just like you're still feeling like oh I wish I wasn't that but like you are and but that's and, the beauty of yeah and that's yeah. what it ends up being and so you've got to kind of embrace that don't you yeah definitely yeah. and I mean even looking at you know I was going to ask you about your art heroes but then I started to guess who they might be anyway but um, <laughs> looking at someone from the past like you know Sonia Delaunay or um, Sophie Torba Arp or those kind of artists that you know, are coming back into focus again now because I think we're struggling with similar aesthetic ideas um, of, like, overload of colour in a palette or overload of, like, action. And now, but they seem to sort of just do it so naturally and also incorporate it into beyond just the painting, like into, you know, designing carpets or rugs or outfits or, you know, mm. that those, are, who else would you add? I mean, I just totally told you that there's some, of, <laughs> no, some no, yeah. that's who may, who I think of, but yeah. do they yeah, resonate? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to, like other people that. Since them, maybe. Yeah, more contemporary mm. people that, like I really love like Leslie Vance. Oh, I don't know Yeah, Yeah, she's sort of. um a painter but like does these drawings like actually sets up still life arrangements mm-hmm. usually with natural type things mm-hmm. um like objects like leaves and different bits of bark and things mm-hmm. um and then actually articulates them in a completely gestural way and then mm-hmm. like really finds kind of really um solid sort of um grounded parts of the painting and mm. then like lets other bits kind of maintain that kind of chaos so I think like wow. that tension can be good um oh, that's interesting so one yeah. part is really kind of tight and resolved and the rest yeah. is really loose really really loose yeah. and like quite a romantic like kind of like a very classical kind of palette mm. like deep reds and deep greens and and things like yeah, like quite sophisticated, like beautiful. Mm. And like her drawings, like but she has like these drawings which I like even more than the paintings, which are like so loose and so beautiful, wow. but very segmented, like mm. kind of like look like collages but aren't collages, which I I like collage mm. kind of aesthetics a lot. Yeah. So um she's really um I like her a lot. I like there's another painter, Anne Craven. I don't know her. Um she is like really I think her practice is just really interesting to me because basically she makes these really kitsch paintings of like canaries like on repeat like canaries <laughs> kittens like really like feminine or like childish yeah yeah childish yeah, yeah. Little and girl like, pets. yeah yeah <laughs> like and and just a massive though like on huge scales and wow. just like pansies like moons I love yeah I love pansies too <laughs> um pansies and moons and all of those things and I think yeah. like things that you see like a lot like when you're younger or like an or like even I think that kind of those motifs and stuff do remind me of being a child mm. or like of things my mother and grandmother had and things like that so mm. I think those things like I always sort of feel drawn to but do you think that there's I do too Mm. but do you think that there's a type of taboo that's beginning to be exploded about those things because I think as a as a woman and Mm. and as an artist like I know going through art school I was told I would just never have even used pink or Mm. gone near drawing a pansy or anything like that or anything sentimental or Mm. anything nostalgic it was just barred it was like banned you know and if you did it you basically destined to fail (laughs) yeah but do you think that that's changing now because I feel like it kind of is I think it is too Mm. yeah I I really think it is too I I remember like once I had a show and I had to do this artist talk and the question that I got asked was 
but you're using pink like you understand that's a problem don't you like and I was like I was like I had never really thought about that (laughs) I didn't get that but I I guess it I get like is it okay but then also it's like but that's kind of like such a nice thing to then work with it's like oh "Oh, well I'll probably just keep doing that yeah I'm a badass (laughs) um but I think it really is and I think right now like there's heaps of women like making really kind of like yeah, sentimental seeming art or like. Yeah, and you look at the generation also below us and it's mm. like, wow, it's kind of everywhere, you know, oh. not just women, women and men. Making, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And like it's sort of like that's exciting because yeah. it's like, you know, what you're told not to do and then you kind of wanted to do. Mm. And I think like with Anne Craven it's interesting because like she'll have these, say, like the canary paintings. You have sort of like three parts of her practice. So, mm. And I think I like practices that have these kind of because like a, a rules thing. Mm-hmm. Um but because like the colors, it's very like blue and pink, and you mm. know, and, yeah. um, it's very pretty. Mm. Um, and so she'll have to, but she'll make. And I think she was actually Alex Katz's studio assistant, oh, so yeah. she has a lot of like. A, she's sort of got this very wet on wet kind of style, so mm-hmm. she has to mix a lot of paint. So she'll have like these palettes that she'll use where she'll mix like heaps and heaps of like cobalt blue and white mm. to make this sky that she just does on repeat and just very wow. OCD I think I like that kind yeah. of that I feel quite comfortable with yeah can't get enough of it yeah, yeah. like yeah. let's do it again let's yeah. do it again you know um and so she'll have the palettes and then she'll have make the paintings mm. then with the excess paint she'll make these abstractions which are just like lines of the colour and then on the palette she'll quickly gesturally draw when it's finished the motif into the palette and then what she'll do is she'll have a show she'll have a show like palettes yeah she shows the palettes she shows the paintings and she shows the abstractions and they're all completely connected so cool yeah so actually it's like her work is really conceptual yeah and very like much about like what you're not really meant to do. Yeah, but, like, and she does all of the things in, like, in a not really meant, you know, like even yeah. this kind of almost, like, hard-edge abstractions that you'd be like, well, you're not allowed to paint canaries yeah. and paint these. But- well, that is a thing, though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it is constantly, and this is something else that's come up through these this new series of talking to mid-career artists is that thing of the taboo around, like, being multidisciplinary mm. or being, even within a practice of painting, having multi-identities within that one practice and how traditionally like what we've been taught is that that's not cool or if you choose to do that good luck and you've got a long battle ahead (laughs) but but if you think about it now like I I don't think I think it is becoming kind of accepted and if anything like quite interesting and an aspiration you know almost like maybe it's because of our fractured online identities or like our needing to do 10 jobs in the real world or You know, but yeah. do you still see that as something that you try to weed out or that you're actually trying to embrace? Oh, I see it as something that, like, I keep doing but I struggle with and kind of would hope, like, would love to, you know, and probably just sounds really conservative, but there's part of me that would just be like, oh, imagine if you just had this this one thing, mm. you know? But, yeah, like, I guess, so yeah, yeah, it would be nice because, like, but I think also as you go along, you tend to like you're trying out things and then some things keep sticking mm. and then it's like and then maybe you have these kind of factions to what you do but you start to deepen those, you mm. know, three things or four things and maybe like yeah. later on it becomes two. And I doubt like it would ever be just – I don't think I could just do the one No, neither thing. do I. But, I mean, I think it's also equates to the level of energy that you have because yeah. a lot of – 
artists that I'm interested in have a huge amount of, uh, are quite generous, have a huge amount of energy. And I've found that those people sort of, you know, they just have more to give. So you've got a bit more space for two more streams or whatever. Like it's, and if you choose to spend 90% of your time on that practice, then that's what happens is that you actually live it to a point where you've got more going on. And yeah. Why is that a bad? I don't see why yeah. that's a bad thing. It's just more to give. You know? Yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing either. I think it's like yeah, and you can be criticised for it, but yeah. you're not going to chat. Like you don't change. <laughs> you can't change. <laughs> like you can't you, change. no, you can just kind of reach out to more people. And I guess that's part of this process for me is is doing that and yeah. actually making it public knowledge for anyone listening that that is that is a way of practicing and that there are lots of people that are interested in that kind of multitudinal or multifaceted. Yeah. Sort of, way of thinking. But on that, like, can you ever see yourself, um, you know, developing a range of fabric or <laughs> like crazy wallpaper or anything like that? Or is that too far beyond your... I think I, I can't. I think mm. it, the one thing that I have that I do, look, maybe I'll change my mind, but I don't know. I think I there's something in me that finds that really difficult. Mm. And I think it's because of like wanting to be for the idea to be in there and me worrying about I think I do have a bit of an anxiety about what happens with your work in other people's hands Mm -hmm. interesting and I would love to not be like that and like there's lots of artists that I'm like like because I actually find that is a struggle Mm -hmm. this sort of like control aspect oh yeah yeah and like you know people writing about you people like it's like yeah it's hard isn't it I find it so hard and even just (laughs) titles I mean it's so stupid because if anyone's actually interested they can look at what you do and Mm. they can make their own mind up but the but the reality is often people just read one line about you and I struggle all the time because people call me an illustrator and I don't I'm not an I'm not an illustrator you know but you have to actively sort of say please don't call me that because that just, it shortcuts people's minds as to the, you know, it, it takes out a whole lot of complexity of what you actually do do. Yeah. But it, it's funny because it's come up quite a lot also in these discussions is just that idea of what you call yourself, you know. Yeah, yeah. An artist obviously is sort of the broadest <laughs> church or something, but maybe in the future there'll be more room for that to be a little bit more exploded or it's more acceptable to be a whole lot of different types of artists. Yeah, I think that's right. And also, like, you get so much from, like, I imagine it would be, like, I mean, because, yeah, like, if you have multi-facets, you're you're getting so much from all of those different things Mm. for, say, you know, like, that painting practice, you know, like, and, and, like, I will frequently say, I'm a painter, like mm. as even as opposed to an artist, like or mm. a painter and a writer, because I I don't know, it's weird. It's like the weird the things you associate, you know, just like taking so much from the other things yeah. and them informing the practice, and even sometimes in a more freeing way, you know, like if yeah. you like if you want to be inspired by something, and if you go and start looking at like lots of paintings, sometimes you can try you get and, really stuck in your head, yeah, and you yeah. Or, or emulate them without realizing, yeah. or like start to like use that palette. Or I find that quite problematic because yeah. like I'll be a bit of a sponge, like I'll be like, oh, that's like wow, yeah, and then you start becoming derivative or whatever, yeah, and that's the worst thing <laughs> yeah. ever. But it is yeah. interesting. I heard someone, I think it was a filmmaker. Um, say oh no maybe a writer like a fictional writer who I'm obsessed with writers and um they were saying that when they're writing a book um they just don't read anything else they don't read any other fiction for the whole year which I found so interesting sort of like ah I wonder if there are little rules like that that you know but I do see a lot of art but then I think 
it's also good to, you know, I guess there's a, there's balance, like you couldn't see 10 shows every day and then still be productive because you'd be kind of crippled by. Yeah. It's it's a difficult balance. I think thing. it's a really difficult mm. balance. And it's like, especially with the internet, like I find Instagram oh, yeah. incredibly problematic. Distracting? Oh, there's like, I could just go on some huge rant about it. Do? Oh, no, it's on, We haven't had like an a, Instagram oh, rant. Yet. Oh, haven't you? No. Oh, no. It's like, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's just probably. It's just so much of an over- but like I use it all the time and yeah. like I like I'm quite my problem is probably being addicted to looking at all of this stuff yeah. or like waking up in the morning and like you know every gallery in the northern hemisphere is posting on like and like I love it because it's mm. like wow you can see all this stuff and of course it's like really mm. wonderful but like I have to have I frequently go off Instagram, like, take it off all of my yeah. stuff for a month, yeah. you know, and I just don't look at it Just at to be free of that kind of... <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm starting to become like that too, and I think I think it's not... I don't think it's a rare problem. I think a no. lot of visual people are really... It's, it's really kind of... takes up a lot of your thinking space. Yeah, yeah. And it's great in some ways. You're right. But yeah. it can be... Um, it can be hard, and I find it can be kind of... Com- not competitive, but, like, you start wondering how you fit into that realm of things mm. and that's sometimes when you get too much sort of self-awareness of what you look like from the outside it, it can be problematic rather than just doing it and then sharing it yeah yeah and yeah it, it's sort the, of like what comes first yeah what comes first post or, exactly like, I but know. I think there's some yeah. people that it, it the post comes first or but then it's nice to see fresh things of what people are doing oh, in their studio totally. or yeah. that that freeness to kind of just be like well this isn't in a fancy upcoming show this is just me and, yeah. and that's okay too and Absolutely. actually find that that's the that's the unusual thing of that medium is that you do get little glimpses into people's lives which is beautiful yeah. but yeah. it's hard and there's no yeah. rules either like no yet <laughs> no, there there aren't, and you, you have the only rules you have are kind of the ones that you develop for yourself. Like yeah, which are important, right? Yeah, like like yeah, take it off the phone for a little while, or like yeah, only look. You know, like I do. Yeah, oh, I don't. Know. I try not to take it into my studio now. Oh, yeah, see, that's a really good idea. So yeah, I yeah. I often, and then it'll be like I'll like be struggling with something I'm making, and I'll suddenly start like photographing it or compo- yeah, and yeah. then posting and then taking it down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad like, in like about three seconds, and then just being like, "Oh, what did you do that for? Like that was ridiculous." Like, and just like, yeah, and just like you didn't before that, you'd never need to. That would be yeah. like, no, 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 like you pin it up on the wall or something, yeah. and then take it off the wall. Yeah, or, yeah, or you just let it be, or turn it around and like mm. go for a walk and like come back and try again, or. Or show something. your housemate or, or yeah. your studio. <laughs> yeah. yeah, show someone your studio. On that though, like I think that idea of temporal. Um, different forms of, you know, temporality, I guess, or that that division between like from, say, oil paint or sculpture to oil paint to watercolour to Instagram, (laughs) (laughs) like the spectrum of process. But for me, I really love your works that, and I know that you've painted in all sorts of different materials and on different things, but I really love your sort of works on paper, Mm -hmm. which... um, which I assume you used gouache and watercolour and sometimes ink, right? Usually ink, yeah. 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 And that sort of real immediacy and freedom of um, just paper, work on paper. Mm. But do you find um, that difficult to, those works on paper difficult for other people, say collectors or galleries, to take seriously? Or do you think that there's, um, yeah. that's changing? Or Galleries do tend to, yeah, paintings... <laughs> On canvas. Yeah, on canvas. Yeah. What do you think that is? 
I don't like, know if it's sort of like the longevity of mm. something or the more object sort of ness of that thing. Like value or, or something. Yeah. But the irony is that sometimes papers can be more expensive than canvas anyway. Yeah. Like, that, so it's not the pure cost. It's about the longevity of, of how long it can last for, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> maybe that and, and maybe still some kind of like idea of what a painting is you Mm. know like I don't know it it is really really strange because like the drawing thing is like I almost have to like stop the drawing thing like Mm. like the drawing thing is like so almost taken over (laughs) like it all can take over at times but Mm. I actually see them as really like they're quite different I find them quite very different to do Mm. and I could never like re if I've ever tried to kind of just remake the drawing as a painting Mm. like it absolutely doesn't work oh really that's really interesting because that's what a lot of people use so your drawings are totally different or a separate well I think I like I always like would sometimes I think I'm going to do this and like prepare you know like prepare it and then make this painting and then I'll like do that and I'll be like actually this is like it feels like a totally different way of doing Mm. something and like still very very important to get to the end place yeah yeah Mm, and so like now I think I do see them as like their own works whereas originally Mm. I would I I started I wanted them to just be like the preparation Mm. but now I'm like actually no they're actually a really important part of it but they're their own thing I I think that's good that you feel like that because I know a lot of painters really dismiss that start that the start of their process or drawings are just nothing like Mm. um last year I don't know if I spoke to you about this but I went to visit Helen Maudsley's studio yeah and I was really lucky to um make some works in response to her paintings and but part of that process was just seeing in her studio and her talking me through um the way that she works and I'm always endlessly fascinated to go in anyone's studio but someone like Helen Maudsley who's you know in her 90s and been working for so long that would be amazing yeah and her process is so just solid because she's been doing it for so long. Yeah. But she had this pile of drawings, a beautiful, like she has this six-part process where she does, you know, a drawing on a thing, then she does a transparency of that. She sketch, you know, she traces that first drawing, then she adds other ones into it and adds them to like a like an old-fashioned like advertising illustrator or something. Yeah, yeah. Adds them onto the transparency and then she'll work that up to a big piece of paper and then do a gouache, a fully, fully painted in like solid gouache painting in colour and then does a full canvas. So there's in the corner of the room there's all these beautiful gouache paintings which I find I actually find them more interesting than the canvas paintings but that's because I love works on paper. Yeah. But interestingly that generation like she just they are worth nothing to her like absolutely nothing. So I think Maybe that's something that's happened over time is that we're begun- we're beginning to realise that those parts of the practice are also precious as well or yeah. worth something. Yeah. Not just leading up to the painting. Yeah, and really interesting like kind of and just having a different quality that can't be repeated. You know, mm. like, like when I was saying about like Leslie Vance, it's like mm. I love her paintings but like her drawings are just like mm. I love them more, mm. you know, like and, and it is – yeah, they're just a different – and they can have – you can have a different relationship with them too. Totally. Like I feel like the relationship between drawing and painting I feel is very different. Mm. Like and I can feel I, – I feel like I can draw in almost any mood, any anything, really? like anywhere, any whatever. Like I'll mm. always like – but with painting I feel like it's a much more kind of like mm, like challenging – not challenging, not like drawings, not challenging, but like – 
challenging for me. You Permanent know? or decisive yeah. or something. Yeah, and like real give and take, and like the time, and like because I like oil paint, then like the mm. waiting. I'm not very good at waiting. Mm. Um, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but I re- like if I try and paint an acrylic, it never seems to work. No. So it's like. that's really hard for me Mm. it's almost like really letting go of like you have to now sit with this at this like absolutely disgusting point and try not to ruin it but why (laughs) should you have to do that if Mm. I I mean this is the thing I just love I love any artist that's managed to keep that immediacy but then maybe it's also scale you know I because I love working on paper but then you're stuck with this sort of like definitive space of what the sheet of paper is that you can have or but you know pushing that beyond what is expected of it and or you're working, you know, all that stuff of like treating treating canvases or wood with that sort of base that then you can use watercolour onto, mm. you know. That's where I love as well or, or painting onto clay or fired yeah, clay yeah. has a sort of similar texture to paper, mm-hmm. you know. And it's all of those things that as an artist you're constantly trying to work out how you can liberate your or make solid your, you know, that that quick way of working that you don't have to use oils or yeah actually or that's really interesting and maybe that is it's just sort of more about developing more of a process like what you were describing about you know Helen Worsley's studio it's Mm. like developing a process that's like okay or even like okay you you might want to use oil paint but how can you use it in a way that best Mm. you know reflects that kind of natural thing that Mm. you do or that instinctive thing that you can do that you might be doing in the drawings and Mm. I would hope that, yeah, like well, with, to push that over time. Yeah, with your work, definitely. I mean, some people hate that side of their practice. They're like, oh, it's too loose or it's too whatever. But I think with your work, it's like it would be really sad to lose that. But that's <laughs> sort of what it is. That and that confidence to with stroke or with gesture that comes purely from some kind of unconscious. Um, plays, which is really great. You should just keep doing that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing, time. one thing I wanted to talk to you about, and I guess it's um, it's relevant right now because you just told me before we came on air that you're going on a residency. Mm-hmm. So where where is your residency? Um, in Leipzig, in Germany. So about an hour out of Berlin. Great, yeah. so exciting. And one thing I did want to before I knew that I wanted to talk to you about um, the idea of opportunity because. Uh, you're pretty much at the, like, you, you do still call yourself emerging. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we, through this series I've had from emerging to sort of mid-career, so the whole gamut of what you wouldn't call emerging anymore but still might call themselves emerging. And so it's a it's an interesting spot that you're in mm. at the moment, which is very much like your first international residency. But you've also had a couple of grants, like the Art Start grant um, for your practice. So that idea of opportunity and what that means to you right now, like can yeah. you talk a little bit about that yeah I mean I think that this is going to be really really important for me actually like I think that I need to go to a different location for a period of time like it's for four months so I think that'll be long enough to kind of it's a long enough amount of time to kind of be able to focus and I think it's Mm. also like I feel like you know the last couple of years I have tried quite a lot of things that I now need to kind of maybe do the rule thing or like mm-hmm. you know pull out this this and this and go okay like a new recipe or something yeah like yeah. a new recipe and sometimes I think you need a bit of like I've sort of had that feeling one other time in my life about 10 years ago and mm. it feels exactly the same way of like this is exactly the right thing to do like go and do this pack everything up like just clear head you know like so great. yeah um and I think that also I've had 
you know, like lots of been lucky and had lots of good opportunities and, you know, and, and have showed like a, a little bit in the last few years and stuff. And that's been really, really great. And I mm. think that it's like time though. Yeah. I don't know. Next step. Yeah. Next step. And it's kind step. of, it's almost <laughs> like what you were saying about working on your, your family's kitchen table in, you know, in the lush New South Wales <laughs> bush, but that idea of going to a whole other country, climate, people, yeah. um, it'll probably do the same thing. You'll be painting all night and yeah. getting excited, meeting new people. Yeah. But it is really important, isn't it? Like just for anyone listening that comes from that side of things, uh, um, funding artists that are maybe still working things out as well and not saying that you're still working, I think you're very established in your style, but just at that point of really trying different things out and different yeah. scales and you, you're not represented by a gallery yet, no, are you? No. So at that point where you're really you know, just finding your feet, it's so important to get something like this and um, to get either a lump of money or a space to go to and um, something to work towards and you'll turn into this, you'll blossom into something (laughs) bigger when you get home. Oh, it'll be great. I think we've probably reached the the conclusion, but uh, is there anything you wanted to add? No, but thank you very much for asking me. It was <laughs> a pleasure. Speak. It was lovely. It was yeah. something I've wanted to do for ages and I'm so um, in awe of your work and your passion and everything. I, I love it. So it was, it was a pleasure to have you here. Thanks. Oh, thanks, Ty. I'm in awe of yours too. <laughs> I love the way that Laura sets herself strict rules and has such a constant drawing practice. Here is a painter that is successful due to her intensely practised process. I really appreciated Laura's honest thoughts on using social media. I also find myself photographing my work, posting it on Instagram, only to take it down three seconds later. We're all faced with this problem these days, aren't we? I love it how she asks, what comes first, the work or the post? We all need to have a good hard think about how we use this tool and how to make rules around it too. Laura made me reflect on how my writing influences my painting and how ideas of framing and repetition are equally important to both worlds. Oh, and yes, please, to more pink pansies, moons and canaries. This conversation was hosted by me, Ty Snaith. I'm an artist for those of you who don't know my work. I'm actually making a series of artworks inspired by each of these conversations. If you're interested, the first iteration is showing now at Sarah Scout Presents in Collins Street, Melbourne, and running until the 10th of November, 2018. After that, the documentation will live on my website. For more information about the project and the artists I've been speaking to, head to tysnaith.com. Thanks to my audio producer, Beck Fari, and Melbourne musician, Fia, spelt P-H-I-A, for letting us use this track, End of the Day, from her album, The Ocean of Everything. This podcast was originally conceived as part of the exhibition Unfinished Business, Perspectives on Art and Feminism at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. This second season, and the exhibition, is supported by the Australia Council for the Arts.